Hey, good morning. Welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. I want you to take some time and go to BillVanderbush.com and go to the schedule page. For the next few weeks, we're going to be in Minnesota doing a series of meetings all over the state of Minnesota, South Dakota. In that area, we're going to be preaching, teaching in barns, churches, all over. And there's one specific meeting I want to to highlight, and that's the Paul Furman Farm. It's a barn revival. It's going to be happening on the 8th and the 9th. And we're going to be there on the 9th. That's a Saturday night. But on the 8th, my cousin, Frank Vanderbush, will be preaching. And I don't want you to miss it. So if you're going to be in the area, go to that barn revival. Bring somebody with you who needs to hear the gospel. All right, let's dive straight into this broadcast today on the pure in heart. We'll see God. Uh, I live with this consistent awareness that we are in a new covenant world. New covenant, I call it the Christic covenant. It's the covenant of Christ. It's the covenant that God made between the Father and the Son, not between God and you, between the Father and the Son. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So you and I are drawn into that place of communion and union because of what Christ did. You're not holy because of anything you do. You're holy 100% because of Jesus. That's it. Okay? So I live with this, this burning conviction that God is always better than you think and you can't imagine him better than he is. That none of us are ever going to get to heaven and go, mm, meh. I like it, but thought it'd be better. I mean, none of us are going to do that. I mean, there, there will be no Yelp reviews of one star. There will be, we are all going to be blown away by the goodness of God. I, I live with an awareness that, like Ephesians 2, we sang about this morning, I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us that God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. That's how involved you were. You brought your dead self to him, however you did that, and he went ahead and made you alive. Raised you to life says, and seated us in heavenly places with Christ, for by grace we have been saved. Then it goes on to say, so that in the ages to come, he might show you the surpassing riches of his grace. I know a lot of people are always, people constantly coming at me with questions about what about the end times? Are we in the end times? Things certainly look bad. Things are tough. I'm like, what's coming up in the future? I can say, well, all I know is what the Bible tells me in Ephesians chapter 2. It tells me that in the ages to come, his intention is to show me the surpassing riches of his grace. Not just this age, but whatever age is coming after this, he is going to crank up the heat on the grace consistently, eternally, forevermore, just when you think you've seen the goodness of God at its ultimate. No, it's going to get better. I'm not saying he's improving. I'm saying our awareness of his goodness will never stop increasing. It's why the angels surrounding the throne are always going, holy, 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 holy. They're not bored. They're, they're literally, in every flap of the wing, turn of the throne, the glory of God shines forth, a holiness and a brightness that explodes whatever expectation they brought from the last one. And so they never get tired of just watching the holiness of God blow their minds. That's the deal. And you and I, are destined to whatever goodness that you've ever experienced from God, can I tell you this? He's going to show himself better. That doesn't mean you're not going to, 
And it doesn't mean you're not going to face challenges and difficulties. It doesn't mean that you're not going to face troubles in this life. But trouble and challenge and difficulty do not have the last word. These are temporary barriers, roadblocks. God has placed everything in you necessary to overcome every challenge you will ever face. Okay? Why do we know that? Uh, John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I've spoken unto you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Don't like that. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And the key to understanding that verse is understanding the time tenses that he's using there. In this world, you will have trouble. He's basically saying this is the future tense. In the future, there is challenge that will come at you. Christian, non-Christian, we're all going to face challenge, difficulty, roadblocks occasionally, even suffering. But he says, be of good cheer. I have, past tense, overcome the world. And what is he saying when he's talking past tense and future tense in the same sentence? He's saying, I've already been in your future, I've seen every challenge that you will ever face, and I've placed everything necessary within you to overcome every obstacle and emerge victorious on the other side. Which means that just because you think you hit a challenge, it's derailed your entire life, it's derailed your faith, doesn't matter. God has faith in you, and he knows what he's placed in you. And he knows how to stir up what he's placed in you to bring about the reality of the identity of the truth of who you are that you haven't even seen yet. What is he doing? He's still creating. He's still forming within us something amazing. And ultimately, what does it end up being? That we are conformed, transformed into the character of the one in whose image and likeness we are made. Transformed in the image of Christ. The Bible says someday when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. He's not conforming to be like you. <laughs> He's not conforming into our image and likeness. He's conforming and transforming us to look like him. That means... Like, oh wait, God loves me just as I am right now. Absolutely. But you know what? The gospel doesn't come to serve you. It comes to change you. It comes to transform you. All right? I'm, I'm a, I am a uh, full proponent of the finished work of the cross. In him I have been made complete. I just haven't fully yet seen the full revelation of the completeness of my authentic identity. I believe in it. But in order for me to, to see truly who I am, I have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to surrender, not strive, surrender to the hands of the potter to reach into my complete perfection of your righteousness and holiness of this lump of clay and continue to shape me. Continue to mold me. Continue to transform me. The minute I stop transforming, I'm not growing. And so in the finished work perfection of the reality of the righteousness of God in Christ that is my identity, in the fact that because of the blood of Jesus that you've been made pure, because of the blood of Jesus that you've been made righteous, you've been made holy, you've been given all of those things as a gift, now I surrender to let the transforming grace of Christ awaken me to the reality that he sees so that my life lived in surrender carries as a conduit the power of heaven flowing through it from heaven toward earth. I don't want to walk around in this world 
encountering broken people and not having a solution. I don't want to walk around in this world encountering broken people, broken lives, broken bodies, broken marriages, and just offer wishful thinking and thoughts and prayers. Why? Because the one who is the answer to every problem lives within you. Lives within me. And, and God finds, the, the, the paradox of the, the grace of God is that the light of the world steps into the shadows to find us. Isn't it amazing how the light of the world can find us in the shadows? He doesn't mind walking with you through the darkness. David said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Who's with him? The light of the world. The one who is the light of the world. He's not scared of the shadows. He's not scared of the shadows. You understand? But he doesn't leave us in the shadows. Jesus says of himself, I'm the light of the world. Then he turns to you and I and says, you are the light of the world. And we may take an entire lifetime to believe that one reality that God believes about us. That he is the light of the world. And as he is, so are we in this world. When I unveil promises in the scripture, and I look at the promises in the scripture, uh, you can look at them a number of different ways. Your perspective really matters. If I look at, let's say, for example, that verse I just quoted, 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. Now, some people will say, well, that verse just means to be a good Christian. Just be a good Christian. Okay, that's not wrong. But is that the fullness of the treasure in those words? I don't think so. I think there's more. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but if, if you've ever like, read the scriptures, sometimes you read a scripture and it means one thing one day, and you go back to it another day, and you read it again, and you're like, when did they write that? You know what I'm talking about? You seen that? Where it's almost like the Bible just, like, when, when did they put that in there? Or why, because of the situation that I've just walked through, does this now carry greater weight than it ever has before? Because the word is alive. We have not yet mined the fullness of the treasure that God's word contains. And so I look at as he is, so are we in this world. I got to ask a couple of questions. When did John write this? Did he write this about Jesus on his way to the cross, the Jesus we read about in the Gospels, which is incredible? Well, on one hand, we definitely could see that as an example, but that's not when John wrote this. John wrote this as a present tense statement after the resurrection. You guys remember how John encountered Jesus in Revelation? Jesus shows up and he's like, when he speaks, swords come out of his mouth and he's juggling stars in his hand and his feet are on fire. And he's like, you know, he's still human. He's got a body. There's a man in heaven. But hey, listen, <laughs> he's got some upgrades. <laughs> and call it glory. The weightiness of the kabod is fully present upon him and it's visible to John. And John looks at it and his encounter with the glory in a human body is to fall down like he's a dead man. Play dead, right? And, uh, uh, and John with that picture of Jesus in mind, writes, as he is, resurrected and glorified, so are we in this world. All right, so here's what I want to talk to you guys about today. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, this beautiful little phrase, and there's a lot of things he says in there that are beautiful. I'm not going to minimize any of those by maximizing one, but there's one that has gripped my heart so deeply lately and it's this phrase 
the pure in heart shall see God. The pure in heart shall see God. I'm cutting the phrase down. It's blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. But I want you to just grab this whole phrase. Understand, we are blessed. We're just blessed by God. He's giving us an empowering blessing. So the word blessed is really important. Here's the empowering capacity of heaven, the ability of heaven upon your life to to experience what I'm about to say is possible. That's what blessing is here. It's not God saying this is out of reach. It's not Jesus saying, hey, if you can somehow attain this. No, blessed, the pure in heart. What's he doing? He's imparting something to every person with ears to hear, including you and I here today. You are empowered with the ability to do what he's about to say can be done. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, with that in mind, let's break it down to this phrase. The pure in heart shall see God. Put the word blessing on the end of it and you can get more clarity. The pure in heart shall see God because we are blessed to do so. Purity is a gift of the grace of God that comes to you. Right? You're not pure again because of what you do. It's not an issue of salvation we're talking about here, though. It's not the, the, the purity that is required for us to even step into the place of, of being in union with a holy God. How I many of you know when God who is holy comes and takes up residence in you and I, no matter un, how unholy we feel, there's a collision between his holiness and your unholiness. Somebody's going to win. And he's not going to lose. His holiness is more powerful, it's bigger, faster, and stronger than your unrighteousness any day, right? So you shall see God purely because you're blessed. However, it says this phrase, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart shall see God. I want you to just just let this rest on you today because this is the question I had. There's a phrase that's been going on for a long time, and I don't know who first said it, but people will say this a lot, and I love the phrase, what we behold, we become. And I think that's true because it draws us into an awareness that that what we focus our our life, our moments on, is, is so very important and has the tendency to impart influence to the heart. But the question I've been asking is this. Okay, God, I understand. I don't, I don't think this is a salvation issue of the pure in heart because the purity required for salvation can come to a person who's lived a completely unholy life in a moment, right? And they can be just as pure as a person who's never even had a, a negative thought, right? So it's a gift of grace. But this phrase, the pure in heart, what does it mean to be pure in heart. And the Bible tells us a number of things about the heart. It says things like this, that as a man thinks, Solomon said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Paul in the New Covenant, Philippians 4, gives us a list of things to think on, which is interesting because understand that you and I have been given this beautiful gift of freedom the freedom to to actually think about whatever we want. Sitting in this room today, you can can listen to what I'm saying. You can try to follow every word. I think most people will have a hard, maybe have a hard time doing it. I'm going to do my best to try to walk you along with this. 
you can get hung up on one thought and spend the entire message thinking about something I said five minutes ago. You can do what I used to do as a teenager, being in church almost every night and picture ninja battles happening up on the stage, you know? Because back in the 80s, ninjas were the jam. You know, (laughs) you can think about just about anything you want to. So even under the new covenant, in Christ, fully surrendered to him, we all, it's almost like we go, okay, God, I give you my life. And he goes, awesome, be free. Oh, that's dangerous. No, no, I, you don't understand, God. That's not what I want. I, I, I don't want freedom. I want you to control me. Because if I control me, I'm going to mess it up. The Holy Spirit is the comforter, not the controller. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. So when you and I give our lives, we give our lives to Christ, what he does is he actually turns up the freedom. He cranks the freedom up on us. Now, we have this this new world we step into. We're we're multidimensional beings, and we live a multidimensional reality. And without Christ, we may not even know that the spiritual realm exists. And so the best we can do in our freedom is to try to live as free as we can physically. The problem is the more freedom you seem to exercise physically, the more you find yourself in bondage to the things that you give yourself to in the physical realm. When you come to Christ, God goes, okay, welcome to the world of the Spirit. The eternal, greater reality of the spiritual realm. This physical realm, temporal and passing away, but the spiritual realm is eternal and exists forever. That is the world you are of. This is the world you are in. The world you perceive with your senses is a lesser, it's a shadow of the greater spiritual reality that you are of. And when we are invited into that place of going, okay, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, fill me with your Holy Spirit, now you become aware, so we're going to talk about this tonight in some detail, of the greater spiritual realm. And it's in that realm that the Lord goes, welcome to authentic freedom. So it's, it's, it's Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation. In other words, we bring all of our baggage of guilt and shame, judgment, condemnation from this physical life to him. And Jesus goes, okay, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, right? So what is he saying now? When you stepped into an awareness of the spiritual realm by salvation, by grace through faith, All the condemnation that happened in this physical realm is ripped off of you. What happens? The greater spiritual realm now overtakes it. Now it's living in the spirit that teaches us how to manage our freedom in the flesh. But so often, even being spirit-filled, spirit-led beings, we find ourselves more aware of this realm than we are the realm of the spirit. And when we think that this realm is pretty much all there is, Then we live void of what we have access to. And Jesus said this, blessed are the pure in heart. What's the reward here? You'll see God. Anybody have an interest in seeing God? You you should. That's how we started. That's how we began this entire life. 
in a face-to-face encounter with God. That's how humanity was created, birthed in a face-to-face encounter with God. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. What did he breathe? He breathed the Holy Spirit, the pneuma of God. The breath of God is the Holy Spirit. We came alive filled with the Spirit of God. First thing we ever, ever experienced was life in the Spirit. As humanity, the first man woke up filled with the Spirit. I was reading an article by a secular scientist a while back here who says that on a a subatomic level, in the very core of our DNA, every single one of us have every memory that we have ever experienced and all of our ancestors have ever experienced is stored in the memory bank of our DNA going back all the way back to our single common ancestor. Which means somewhere deep down In the core of every one of you, we all remember our first shared breath. Which may be why when I talk about breathing in that first breath that humanity ever took, some of you may be sitting here going, that seems awfully familiar. Why? Because you were there on some level. So we were birthed in that face-to-face encounter with God. So by that, we know where we belong. We are born in face-to-face communion with God. All of us should have this, this burning desire in our hearts. God, we want to see you. So what are the roadblocks, the barriers to me beholding you? I'm not talking about distance and separation between you and God. I preach this, live this, love this, that there's no distance or separation between you and God. My, my life verse that is melted into the core of my being, John 14, 20, Jesus says, in that day you will know I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Right? right? So no distance and no separation. But the, I would say the vast majority of the body of Christ in the Western church lives without a conscious awareness of the seeing, the ability to behold, to see God, more than just in your imagination and your mind's eye. And Jesus said to a bunch of people sitting on a hillside one day, the pure in heart will see God. Oh, now see, I'm gripped. I'm gripped by this. Because I recognize that transformation from God toward me, that's his business, that's his job. My only job is to surrender to let it happen. Because he's not gonna force you to be transformed if you don't want to. The, the relationship of intimacy that we have with the heart of God is not a forced arranged marriage here. It's an invited, invited covenant of communion. And if as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If a person is in the new covenant told, think on these things, which means you have the ability to control what you think about. If out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus says, the mouth speaks, then there's something about stewardship over my heart. Not my salvation, I'm talking about my, my capacity to actually live with an awareness of the reality of the purity of the grace of God upon my life that so transforms and transfigures my heart that I live not just with an awareness of my union with God, but the capacity to open my eyes. The eyes of my flesh, the eyes of my spirit, whatever. 
and behold him, to see him. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, you're saying, okay, that if you're pure in heart, you'll see God. I've never actually seen God, so therefore my heart must be really messed up. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there's a challenge here from the Lord. Don't take it as a challenge that's a warning. It's a challenge that's more of an invitation to us. That to surrender to the impartation of the grace of his purity, to believe the reality of what the gospel accomplished in us, to say, God, I... I, I want to think of me and everybody around me like you think. There's something about that that invites us to, to push past the weeds of every distraction around us and cultivate a desire to behold him and nothing else. It is totally possible for you and I to receive the grace gift of freedom and perfection that comes from Christ and literally live under the awareness of the finished work of the cross, but still under the new covenant, Paul says, think on these things. In other words, you, still under the new covenant, have control of your mind. You get to choose what you think about and what you dwell on. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Pay attention to what comes out of your mouth because it'll tell you what you've been dwelling on in your mind. And when you start to begin to speak and believe what God believes about you, something happens in your heart. It's a total pride killer. And I think that's where we find that place of literally walking the exercise of the purity in heart. That puts us in a posture where we can live a lifestyle of beholding him. Does that make sense? I hope it does to you because it doesn't make sense to me. Yet. But I think if I keep preaching it, it will eventually make sense. You guys can have a seat. Right? <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, it totally makes sense to me. Good. I'd love you to explain it to me because I'm still figuring this out. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. So the question is, does Jesus own your whole life? We're pure because of the blood of Jesus, but we practice purity when we think like Jesus. We're pure because of the blood of Jesus, but we practice purity when we think like Jesus. Let me tell you, here's one simple, real simple way that you can start to think like Jesus. I personally find it really hard to be critical and unloving towards somebody when I'm genuinely praying for them. Getting my eyes off of myself involves one of two different things, worshiping the Lord and praying for people. Not getting my eyes on people for the purpose of judging them, but getting my eyes on the people for the purpose of releasing what God's doing through, heaven, through me from heaven toward earth into somebody else's life. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus told us, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who despitefully use you. What was he doing? He was giving us a, a weapon here on how to stay postured in our heart in a, in a place of beholding, even under the new covenant. Even under the new covenant, there's ways that we can learn to transform and live in such a way that it changes and transforms us from the inside out. And so if I'm, if, when I listen to one Christian criticize another, I'm almost 100% sure that I'm hearing somebody's voice who has not stopped to pray for that person because I've discovered it's very hard to be critical over somebody that you're praying for. 
I just, this is just one, the one thing I feel like the Lord's just showing me this week for me personally. I'm going, God, I, I want to live a lifestyle of beholding you. I want to see you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I want to live a lifestyle of just seeing and beholding you. Why? Because this is, this is where I belong, in face-to-face communion with you. But there's something about dedicating in my heart to go, okay, this person is just, oh, gets under my skin. If I let that fester, I can start to build up an animosity and offense that I might call righteous anger because most of the time we get angry at what people are doing in the costume. But when we stop to pray for, bless our enemies, love people who seem completely unlovable, what are we doing? We are exercising the ability to be a living invitation for them to become who they really are. For them to become who God knows them to be. You say, well, if I can't criticize people, how are they going to change? It's not your criticism of people that changes them. It's the Holy Spirit that changes them. Thanks so much for being with us today in this broadcast. and Thanks so much for all of the support and prayers that so many of you reach out and just send us generosity toward us is really, really mind-blowing. I just am so blessed by you. I trust that God's laying it on your heart to support us, and that really confirms to us that what we're doing is what we're called to do and that we're fulfilling that call with excellence. We want to invite you to write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Or listen again where we listen to podcasts or on your local radio station where you heard this the first time. You can also jump on our website, BillVanderbush.com or VanderbushMinistries.com, where you can give online if you'd like to support us that way. Also, check out the Kingmakers Conference coming up in April in Scotland. Go to BillVanderbush.com, click on the Kingmakers link, read all about it. We'd love to see you there. Until next time, may the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.